How are we doing on one of these rare but fantastic evening services? They're kind of forced on us, but they're, they're just a really good opportunity to gather in the evening, kind of different vibe to worship together. Uh, if you're new, let me add my welcome to you. My name's Philip. I'm one of the pastors here. I'm going to teach from the Bible, as we love to do every week at King's Church. But beforehand, if you want some Turkish delight, there is Turkish delight here for you. I think Turkish delight is kind of like Marmite. That's my theory, that you either hate it or love it. And I can see some of you going, Ugh. hands up if you love it. Interesting. Hands up, you hate it. Okay. The haters are in the minority. That's how it should be, I suppose. Anyway, there is some Turkish light for you afterwards because uh, Kate and Mark have come back from Istanbul visiting uh, John and Sophie Ford and our church planting partners out there. So you can take some Turkish light and remind you to pray for them. And if you hate it, take some anyway, and the, the sacrifice of doing so will be your, your act of sacrificial love towards them. Um, we are in the middle of a little series, and before I tell you more about that, I'm going to read a passage of Scripture to you to kind of ground us in Scripture. It's one verse, if you have your Bibles. Here we go. We're in John chapter 14 and verse 15. It's just one verse. It is a simple verse, and it is a profound verse. And if you're not sobered a little bit by this verse, then I'm not sure you're reading it as it should be read. Jesus said this just before he uh, went to his death. He spoke these words to his disciples. If If you love me, you will keep my commands. If you love me, you will keep my commands. If you love me, you will keep my commands, is what Jesus said. And they are big, big words, as we're about to see as we go through these next few minutes together. If you love me, you will keep my commands. Now, I want you to hold that phrase, that sentence in your head, and we're going to kind of loop back around to it in a few minutes' time and just kind of live in it and see where not only the challenge is, but also the life is in it as well. If you love me, you will keep my commands. We are in the middle of your bit newer here this evening. We're in the middle of this like vision series and we're spending this term really as a church family saying what do we think, what do we believe God is calling us to be? What's he calling us to aim for? Why, why are we here in simple terms? And uh, as elders we're putting before you the vision, the picture of the future. We, we feel that God's telling us in simple terms to be a church family that gives ourselves to knowing God making God known and doing so in the context in which we are known and loved in the family of God. Knowing God being known and loved, and making God known. And as I've been thinking about that kind of strap line more and more, as you can imagine, I'm thinking more and more about the, the kind of adventure that is entailed in that. For me, the Christian life is a call to adventure. It's a call to action. It's a call to challenge. It's a call to overcome. It's a call to progress. It's a call to advance. It's a call to battle. It's a call to adventure. And like any uh, adventure, there are ups and downs, there are highs and lows. And when it comes to knowing God, being known and loved and making God known, there are adventurous highs, there are glorious aspects, I think, of that kind of strap line, of that kind of picture of the future. Think about knowing God and the adventure that is entailed in that. Just in like simple terms, I can think back to my own experience of being kind of quite far from God over a decade ago and for, through various reasons, not least the love of a friend, coming back towards a, a, a church context and a worship context and just from being so far from God, just a really powerful encounter with God that evening. Just a pro- kind of prodigal son moment, being far from God, lacking in faith, not wanting much to do with him, but coming back to him, experiencing his arms, his embrace. It was amazing. It's a powerful encounter of God. It was like a, I'm no knowing God as Father in this moment. Worship and tears and all kinds of things going on, and I remember it profoundly as a God is here moment. 
And the, but the adventure of knowing God also is about the everyday. It's about the, the everyday stuff. It isn't always about the dramatic. It's about the everyday as well. Just like this week, I'm just having my morning time with God in the cafe. I dropped off Izzy at nursery, and on my way to the office, I just go to a cafe like once a week to do a different type of kind of morning quiet time. I'm just there with a cup of coffee and people and a Bible and my journal and, and just kind of scribbling away. And it's just everyday stuff, nothing kind of amazing, no angels singing, no great tears or emotion from me, but just reading, I think it was Matthew uh, 24 and verse 35, where Jesus says, heaven and earth will pass away, but my words will not pass away. Heaven and earth will pass away, but my words will not pass away. I'm just thinking, wow, the eternal nature of what Jesus has said. It's unchanging, it's lasting, it's eternal. It's never gonna shift or move. I can stand upon it, I can believe it, I can base my life upon it. And, and then linking into Romans 10, 17, where it says, faith comes from hearing the word of Christ. And there's just me in a cafe with a coffee and a notepad and a Bible, just feeling like I'm knowing God in this moment. The adventure of him coming with me in the everyday as well as in the dramatic. There's adventure to be had in knowing God. There's adventure to be had in building a church family where we are known and loved. There's adventure to be had in building a church family in which we are known and loved. So just like last Sunday, another little example, I'd, I'd had a, a rougher week than average, I would say, and was just here last Sunday morning and just kind of getting ready to try and uh, just partner with God and, and be a blessing as much as I could. And, and Mark, um, as in Mark and Kate had just been to Istanbul, Mark knew that I had a sort of tougher week than average and he just came up to me before the service and he just said, how you doing? And I did that kind of Christian blokey thing of fine. He said, no, how are you doing? I gather your week's been, yeah, okay, it's not, not so great. He said, can I, can I give you a hug and can I pray for you? And he gave me a hug and he prayed for me. And it lasted about three and a half minutes. But I tell you what, the experience of being known and loved in that context, he knew something about me, he'd taken the trouble to find out something about me, and rather than saying, how are you doing? Oh, you're okay, great, I'll, I'll, I'll pray for you another time. He's like, no, can I give you a hug? And not one of those Christian side-on kind of, <laughs> not one of those jobs. Proper man, bear hug, and a pray. Like, I'm known and I'm loved. That's part of the adventure of doing church life. We don't just do, we're not just single Christian travelers on a journey, on a kind of parallel track. We're, we're called to do it together as brothers and sisters in Christ. And when it works, it's a glorious adventure, cheering each other on, exhorting each other, encouraging each other, rejoicing with each other, bearing with each other. When it works, it's a beautiful adventure. All good adventures take place usually in community. Sam and Frodo, not just Frodo. And there's the adventure, of course, of making God known. The adventure of making God known. It's just a glorious adventure to, to get to partner with God in what he is doing. To get to partner with God in what he is doing. He is as excited about making himself known, far more excited about making himself known than we are. You should never, ever print off your notes double-sided. It completely throws you off your entire... <laughs> entire kilter, extraordinary. And uh, yeah, it's an adventure, isn't it? To make God known to those that don't quite know him or wanting to explore him. It's a part of the adventure of church life is to help people, as we said last week, to, or two weeks ago, to explore the claims of Jesus, to ask, to doubt, to question, to challenge, to explore. Our Alpha course at the moment, just a real privilege, a real adventure to see two, three people just asking those questions. What an adventure to walk alongside them, watch some films, chew the fat, um, discuss things, to see them asking, challenging, questioning, doubting. I loved what Becca shared about Three weeks ago, when she was saying uh, the story of when she was up in Bedford with some friends doing some training and um, kind of the things of partnering with the power of God, uh, and she was saying they, they went out into the streets of Bedford 
And uh, they were just want, expecting to kind of partner with God in what he was doing. And sure enough, God was speaking to them, some spiritual gifts, words and knowledge and prophecy for just random people. And they found themselves speaking to a young woman in the streets of Bedford. And, and I'm wasn't sure, not sure whether it's a prophetic word or a word of knowledge, but certainly something from God kind of just speaking specifically and accurately and lovingly to her. And Becca said it was kind of a woman at the well in John 4 moments. And John 4 is the passage that we've been basing much of our vision in. Because so accurate, so specific, and so loving was this kind of word of God to this woman that she literally went away, found some of her friends and said, and brought them back and said, like the woman at the well, you've got to come and hear what they're saying. They've just told me everything I ever did. That's part of the adventure of making God known. He's at work doing that and we get to partner with him. He doesn't need us, but he's an amazing father who grabs us by the hand and says, come and do what I'm doing, making myself known to those that are far off, those who don't yet know me. So there's adventure to be had. But of, course, but of course, no adventure is just all highs, is it? No adventure is all highs. Sam and Frodo's adventure wouldn't be an adventure, Lord of the Rings. It wouldn't capture our imagination if they just um, went off for a stroll, found the ring, took the ring to uh, Mordor, wherever it is, put it in the lake of fire, destroyed it, tripped Sauron up so he fell in, and that was job done. That wouldn't be an adventure. That'd just be a activity. It's an adventure and it catches our heart and our imagination because there are enemies and there are challenges and there are doubts and there are fears and they have to overcome obstacles and get around things and over things and learn things about themselves. That's why it's an adventure, right? Because it's not straightforward. And so it is in the, the journey of building a church in which we know God, we're known and loved, and in which we make God known. Let me give us some examples, perhaps. Let's go back through those three components of the statement again. Knowing God. It's an adventure with highs, but it's an adventure with challenges, right? Sometimes just believing God is a challenge in itself. Just holding on to truth can be a challenge in itself. It might be where you're at this evening. I'm just experiencing the adventure of just holding on to God being God, full stop. It's an adventure with challenges, just praying. It's hard sometimes, reading the Bible, believing it, putting our emotions to a secondary place and standing upon truth and letting that drive our choices and directions can be hard. Responding to to God as the loving, perfect Father that he is, the Father, knowing him as the Father, but not through the distorted lens of a less than perfect earthly Father, that can be hard and challenging because adventures come with hardships and they come with challenges and they come with downs as well as ups. You know, Jesus was asked, what's the most important thing that a believer can give themselves to? And he said it's this, The greatest commandment, he says, is to love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your mind. Matthew 22, 37. In other words, to know God. Because for us, knowing God is not accruing academic information. It is encountering him and loving him and worshiping him and enjoying him and making much of him and giving our mind, soul, heart and body to him. That's what knowing God is. And that's an adventure because it's full of glorious highs and and everyday sweet moments like in the cafe. And it also has some huge challenges sometimes, even to the point of hanging on to the truth of God being good. It's a challenge and a part of the adventure. 
And then you think about this component of building a family in which we are each known and loved. Because Jesus had a second commandment, or a second greatest commandment that he quoted when he was asked this question, didn't he? He said the greatest commandment is to love the Lord your God with heart, mind, and soul. He said the second is to love your neighbor as yourself. Verse 39 of Matthew 22. Easy to gloss over that kind of command, isn't it? Love your neighbor as yourself. Love your neighbor. So that's in, in, in immediate terms, that is the church family, the people of God, to love each other, the person next to you, the person behind you, the person in front of you, as yourself. If I think, maybe it's just me, maybe you guys are far more selfless than me, but if I think of the amount of time and headspace I give to thinking about myself and what I'm gonna eat and whether I'm gonna sleep and what I'm doing and how I'm feeling and where my life is going, I love myself in that, in that sense. And Jesus is saying, as much as you give your time and attention and energy and devotion to the self in natural senses, that is what it means to give it to your church family, to brothers and sisters in Christ. That's a big command. <laughs> like building a church family where we, people are welcome to attend a service and have a cup of tea and a chat, that's, that's one thing. It's not that difficult, I guess. But building a church family in which we're known and loved is a, is a different thing. It's an adventure, and like all good adventures, it has massive challenges to it. A family where we take time to seek God for each other, not only ourselves, but to seek God for each other. We take time to, to fast and to pray for each other, to explore intercessory prayer for each other, to hear something of the heart of God for each other, and to come to each other and say, because I love you, I, I, think, I think God might be saying this for you. You mentioned this thing like six months ago, Man, just tell me how that's going. No, but, but really, just tell me how that's going. That's a very different dynamic to come to our public meeting and have a cup of tea and we'll see you next Sunday. It's a challenge. A family where we can challenge and rebuke each other is a challenging adventure to build. The Bible talks about not only encouraging and building up, but also even rebuking and exhorting each other. To do that in a context in which you are known and loved is, is a challenge. Now you can do it just by knowing someone, you can know stuff about them and bring a challenge and a rebuke, but that's vulnerable, exposing, intimidating. You can say that you love someone and bring some loving comments to them, but if you don't really know them and what their life is like, it doesn't really go much past the surface. But if you've taken the trouble to know them and pray for them and, and exper experience something of God's love for them, and in that context you come with a challenge or a rebuke based upon the word of God, then you start to build an exciting church family. It's an adventure to do that kind of stuff, isn't it? But it's hard. It's a challenge. To build a church family in which we enter into people's suffering, not move away from it. That's a challenge. We are built, it seems to me, to see suffering and move the other way. And yet we serve a God who left the perfection of the kingdom of heaven and stepped into human suffering. And he unites us to himself and calls us to do the same thing. We're called to rejoice with those who rejoice, absolutely. And even mourn with those that mourn. It's an adventure, but it's hard. A family where our homes are not our castles and we make space at our table. 
It's a beautiful adventure, but full of challenge. How about this? A a family in which, because we're on a journey of being sanctified, there's a a future destination in which every follower of Christ will be like him fully in some incredible, beautiful, perfect way. But that isn't yet. That's our journey towards that destination. And because we're on 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 the way towards that, we will occasionally express ourselves in ways that are hurtful and, 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 and not helpful if we're giving ourselves to a place in which we're known and loved. A church family in which when you're hurt or offended, rather than moving away from that person and building a safe barrier around yourself, you actually move towards that person and understanding and reconciliation and forgiveness. <sighs> Hard. Let's just do a little quick little experiment. Put your hand up if you've ever been encouraged or blessed by anyone in this church. Great, isn't that encouraging? Praise God. Now put your hand up if you've ever been hurt or offended or let down by anyone in this church. Yeah, it's part of the stuff of church life. What do you do when that happens? There's an adventure to be had where we can see something beautiful. Wow, reconciliation, mutual learning, sanctification, Christ-likeness. I want that. It's a glorious place, but I I don't want that. It's all part of the adventure. And thirdly, the challenging adventure of making God known. You know, when Jesus said we are to love our neighbor as ourselves, he didn't just mean the people of God. Jesus knew the Old Testament word by word, believed it utterly, quoted it often. He was quoting Leviticus 19, where the command, God's command to love your neighbor as yourself was repeated for a second time, in which case, in which instance the, the word neighbor is then explained to mean stranger. Someone not part of the people of God in the Israelite context, outside of the people of God, a stranger. And this command also means loving those that are without, outside of the church, including your enemies, perhaps. That in itself is hard. It's an adventure. When Jesus said in Matthew 28, go and make disciples of all nations, he didn't just mean, he didn't mean go and find some believers and help them to become more mature disciples. He meant go and find people who don't know me, are far from me, and help them to explore the claims of Jesus, come to faith in Jesus, and then explore what it means to live every day for Jesus which is why exploration is right at the heart of who we are, that we're all exploring, whether it's who Jesus is or what it means to live every day for him. That is a glorious adventure. Go, Jesus says, and help people to see who I am and to come to saving faith in me. But it's hard, or is it just me? Whether it's our own lack of boldness sometimes, maybe, a lack of passion, I don't quite know what to say, we want to be liked quite a lot, don't we? We want to be well thought of. We want people to speak well of us. Whether it's a, a cultural climate, on the one hand, is people are, in my experience, are, are really open to the idea of, of spirituality and the possibility of meaning and purpose and something you can stand upon and trust. But also, we have a cultural climate that is increasingly hostile to much of the Christian faith, probably specifically hostile to the idea of an exclusive truth, to the idea of a, a God who would hold us to account. It's hard sometimes to make God known in a cultural climate like that. Well, part of the hardness of the adventure is because we carry disappointment. 
we've prayed for people maybe for, for years and years and we're not seeing anything as far as we can make out. There seems to be no fruit at all. My experience of trying to make God known to my university mates all those years ago was that at the end of the three years, as far as I can make out, they were more convinced of their skepticism and atheism than, than, than they were beforehand. Great. <laughs> it's a hard adventure. Or just the busyness of life. A lot of you are just, a lot of us, we're busy, busy people juggling work and family and friends and, and we're doing church life and we're giving ourselves to the priority of knowing and loving each other as church family and, and knowing, knowing God as, as our Father and Jesus as our Savior and the Holy Spirit as our friend and we're, we're giving ourselves to that because Philip, you said that evangelism comes from the place of encounter so I need to keep on giving myself to God and, and I'm juggling this and that and health and, and I haven't got time to have a, invite someone to Alfred or to have a conversation with somebody about faith or to work wait on God for an hour at the train station in case he does something. I don't have the time. Busyness can make making God known as part of the adventure. Now I'm taking some time over this for a reason because I want us to see that when Jesus says that knowing God in his language is about loving the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your mind, that's a big command. It's a glorious adventure of mountaintop moments and it's also a challenge. Secondly, when he says that we are to love our neighbors as ourselves, to build a church family in which we're known and loved, it's glorious and beautiful and we can glimpse it and experience it and see it, but it's hard. And thirdly, when he says in Matthew 28, we are to make disciples of all nations to make God known, it's an amazing, adventurous call to action, and yet the reality is we find it hard for all the reasons and others that I haven't said. And so if anything like me, you see these commands, love the Lord your God with all your heart and mind and soul and, and love your neighbor as yourself and be known and loved in the people of God and demonstrate the love of God to, to the stranger, to the refugee, to the, to the orphan, to the person next door, make disciples, help people to explore. You see these amazing commands, think, well, I want to be part of that, I want to give my life to that. Knowing God, making God known, building a family in which I'm known and loved. And you also think, oh, I can't do that. At least I hope that's what you're thinking. As I've been laying out some of these challenges of the adventure, I, I hope you're thinking, at least that sounds quite hard. And so then we loop back round to our original passage in John 14, 15, and Jesus says, if you love me, you will keep my commands. No, God. Build a church family where we're known and loved and make God known. And you think, I, I want to do that, Jesus. I love you. Thank you so much for saving me, rescuing me, forgiving me, bringing me into the family of God, giving me a hope and a future. I want to obey you and love you, but it's hard. But, or and, the verse doesn't finish there. I hope we're seeing that authentic that authentic Christianity cannot be done simply by doing our best. Singing songs can, coming to meetings can, we can do that. Being a good citizen, we, we can probably, most of us, do that. But the kind of commands that Jesus put before us, I, I hope you'd agree, just can't be done in our own strength. And that is why it's very good news that after John 14, 15 comes John 14, 16. Let me read it to you. If you love me, you will keep my commandments. And I will ask the Father, and he will give you another helper 
to be with you forever, even the spirit of truth whom the world cannot receive because it neither sees him nor knows him. You know him, for he dwells with you and will be in you. That is such good news. Yes, the authentic Christian life cannot be done on our own strength. And Jesus says, okay, I'm gonna give you a helper. I'm gonna help you, I'm gonna empower you. I'm gonna send God the Spirit who will make it possible. What is impossible will be made possible. So we've been kind of pressing in in this, in this vision statement to the values that underpin what it is to, to know God, to make God known. Cliff, I wonder whether you could do me a favor and just um, look after Toby, is that possible? Would you mind, just so I can land these last few minutes, thank you ever so much. This would really bless us. And I will ask the Father, and he will give you another helper to be with you forever, even the spirit of truth whom the world cannot receive, because it neither sees him nor knows him. You know him, for he dwells with you and will be in you. We've been talking about what it is to build, a, have values of exploration, values of encountering, and values of this is about being empowered. The bad news is we can't do this in our own strength. The good news is that God sends one who will help us and who will empower us. And that's why we're going to respond in a moment in uh, kind of worship and prayer and just for the, maybe for the first time or a new time or the hundred millionth time, know what it is to be filled with the Holy Spirit, to be clothed in power. Sometimes we can grasp something, I think, of the nature of the the Godhead, Father God, Jesus the Son, but the Holy Spirit can seem like this more vague concept, this perhaps this kind of ghostly figure, mystical figure, a kind of a force or an, an energy, Holy Spirit. It's not the case. It's God, the Holy Spirit, the person of the Holy Spirit. One person within the relational being that is the Godhead, equal in divinity, authority, and power. He's a he. So how you see the Holy Spirit as Holy Spirit, God the Holy Spirit, the person of the Godhead. The Bible tells us that the Holy Spirit comforts and the Holy Spirit grieves and the Holy Spirit convicts and the Holy Spirit leads and forbids and declares and speaks and gives gifts and confirms plans and desires. An energy doesn't, doesn't do those things. A force doesn't do those things. A person does those things. And his name's Holy Spirit and he's here to help us and empower us and make it possible to do what we can't do in the natural. Like I say, in a moment we're gonna take time to, if you want to, to be prayed for, to receive the Holy Spirit, to make possible what in the natural is impossible. And the Holy Spirit does many, many things. Many, many things. And he makes it possible to believe Jesus. The Holy Spirit glorifies Jesus. He empowers us to be single or to date or to be married or to parent to glorify Jesus. Holy Spirit empowers us to pray when we don't know what to pray. So encouraging. The Apostle Paul, great man of God, says, sometimes I don't know what to pray, but the Holy Spirit helps me and intercedes for me. That's why we're called to keep in step with the Spirit, to walk in the Spirit, to be led by the Spirit, to to live according to the Spirit, to be continually filled with the Spirit. 
That's the language of the Holy Spirit being in life for everything. And that's why the third E, the third value that's going to underpin us on this journey of knowing God, being known and loved and making God known is we need to be empowered by the Holy Spirit for everything. But let me just put before you four specific things. And as I say, we're going to take time. Anna and Ross are going to lead us in being baptized in and filled with the Holy Spirit. Four ways that I think the Holy Spirit particularly wants to empower you this evening. Number one, he wants to give gifts. He wants to give gifts. 1 Corinthians 12 lists all the spiritual gifts or a number of them that the Holy Spirit gives. There are a variety of gifts but the same spirit, varieties of service but the same Lord, varieties of activities but it is the same God who empowers them all in everyone. To each is given the manifestation of the spirit for the common good. For to one is given, or to one, is given through the spirit the utterance of wisdom. To another, the utterance of knowledge according to the same spirit. To another, faith by the same spirit. To another, gifts of healing by the one spirit. To another, the workings of miracles. To another, prophecy. To another, the ability to distinguish between spirits. Discernment, underrated spiritual gift. To another, various kinds of tongues. To another, the interpretation of tongues. All these are empowered by one and the same spirit who apportions to each one individually as he wills. Holy Spirit is here this evening to give gifts as he wills for the glory of Jesus and for the building up of the church. And all we're invited to do is say, yeah, I I can't prophesy over somebody on my own. I can't go into into a street and and ask God whether he wants to speak to somebody and, and then accurately do that. I can't speak in tongues or interpret tongues or so on and so forth without the Holy Spirit. So will you come and give gifts? God is good. He loves to give gifts. He'll respond when we ask those questions. We're particularly exhorted to eagerly pursue the gift of prophecy. Hearing something of God's heart for people. Such a profound gift. It's shaped my life in different ways. I know it shaped some of you. And at this moment, I imagine some of you might be going, well, yeah, spiritual gifts, that's for the, the spiritual people, the mature ones, the older ones, the ones that have got it all together. Don't see that in the Bible. Just see people coming to faith, being baptized in water as a representation of that faith and filled and clothed with the Spirit and doing things like speaking in tongues, healing the sick and so on and so forth. There's no mature, well, there, there is a maturing of faith that takes place, of course there is, and those gifts come and mature, but what I mean is God doesn't wait for believers to reach a certain standard of maturity before he gives gifts, because they're gifts, and they're from him, and they're for the good of the church. Do you want them? Second thing the Holy Spirit's gonna do in the next few moments, if you wanna receive him, is he will bear fruit in us. So 1 Corinthians 13 links, this is where Patrick Corbett's been very helpful, I think, in us. He, he links, Paul does in 1 Corinthians 13, he links the, the, the gifts of the Spirit to the gifts of the, he links the gifts, the spiritual gifts to the fruits of the Spirit. 1 Corinthians 13, 1. If I speak in the tongues of men and of angels, if I have the gift of tongues, but have not love, I am a noisy gong or a clanging cymbal. In other words, if I'm operating in the gifts of the Spirit, speaking in tongues and prophesying, but I'm not full of the fruit of the Spirit, it's just empty noise. They come in, they come together. 
And the Holy Spirit is here to bear fruit in our character this evening. Galatians 5.22, the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control. He bears that in us, enabling us to do what we cannot do in our own strength. Caroline earlier on texted me saying, can you pray for patience? Not with regards to me, I hasten to add, but something else. But patience is a gift, it's a fruit of the Holy Spirit, so I can pray. Not that, God, will you just make Caroline more patient? I can say, Holy Spirit, would you come and inhabit her, clothe her, anoint her, and bear the fruit of patience in her? that she might love and serve and sacrifice towards this person in question. Fruit of the Spirit. What's the Holy Spirit wanting to bring to you this morning, this evening? Love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control. Someone last week said to me, I just just don't have enough self-control. Someone said to me last week, I just, I just, I don't have enough self-control to be able to, uh, in their instance, not get really angry. And so, I do I say, oh, that's a shame. Here are some approaches you could help to modify your behaviour. No, I say, let me lay hands on you and ask the Holy Spirit to come and give you the fruit of self-control, so that in your anger you do not sin, and instead love and peace and patience flows from you. He's like, yes, please. Holy Spirit's here to do that this evening. Thirdly, or four, the Holy Spirit is here to help us bear witness to Jesus. We're about making God known. We're giving ourselves to that as a fundamental priority. I love what happens in Acts 4. They've got a prayer meeting due to some pretty major persecution in their community. Two of their leaders have been hauled before the authorities and threatened. And so they have a prayer meeting. And at the end it says, when they had prayed, the place in which they were gathered together was shaken and they were all filled with the Holy Spirit and continued to speak the word of God with boldness. The Holy Spirit comes to empower us for mission, to give us the words to say, to give us that spiritual insight in somebody at work situation to cut through things, to be able to love our enemies, to find boldness and courage where before we were lacking it. And fourthly, the Holy Spirit comes to assure us of our sonship. So number one, he comes to give spiritual gifts this evening. Tongues and prophecy and words and knowledge and so forth. Secondly, he comes to bear fruit in our character. Thirdly, he's going to come and give us boldness to be able to make God known. And fourthly, he comes to assure us of our sonship. Romans 8, 15 to 17. For you did not receive the spirit of slavery to fall back into fear, but you have received the spirit of adoption as sons by whom we cry, Abba, Father. The Spirit himself bears witness with our spirit that we are children of God, and if children, then heirs, heirs of God and fellow heirs with Christ. I have lost count the number of conversations I've had with Christians who really find it hard to genuinely enjoy and trust and see God as the perfect father that he is. So many conversations like that for all kinds of reasons, not least because even the best earthly dads are a pale imitation of the one perfect heavenly dad. And every father, good, indifferent, or terrible, leaves us a lens 
that we look through to see what God the Father is like. And it's not a perfect lens. But then the helper comes. The helper comes. The spirit of truth, the one who allows us and enables us and empowers us to cry out, Abba, Father. God, you are Father. You're not just a better version of my good dad or a much more different version of my bad dad. You are the one perfect good dad who when I'm in Christ, and I'm clothed in Christ, and I'm united to Christ, all I receive from you is affirmation and approval. And just as Jesus had the Holy Spirit descending upon him, his baptism, and the Spirit said over him, this is my Son in whom I am well pleased, that is what the Father says over every Christian. And I've been around long enough to know how many of us find that hard. You, if you're in Christ this evening, you are my son and my daughter in whom I am well pleased. And if you find it hard, the good news is the helper's here this evening to help you to be able to stand secure as a child of God. And ultimately, all that we do in giving ourselves into the activity of church life has to be founded upon a secure identity as united to Christ, one with him, reigning with him, ruling alongside him, seated alongside him, brothers with him, and therefore children of the Father. When we get that, we begin to operate in peace and in joy and in self-control. I'm gonna close right now so that we can receive the Holy Spirit this evening. Um, Ross, I wonder whether you could join me. Um, I'm just gonna pray, and then Anna, I'll hand over to you, I think, to help us to do this. I thank you, uh, Holy Spirit, specifically, I thank you that you're here. Thank you that you're with us. I thank you that you help us to understand scripture. And I thank you that you come to give gifts and bear fruit and help us and encourage us and comfort us and counsel us and all kinds of things that we just can't do without you. And so I pray, first of all, for a humility in this place, for us to admit that when it comes to the authentic life of discipleship of Christ, we just can't do it without you. And I pray that as we just declare our need for you, that you would begin to come in a wonderful way in this place. And you would begin to do what you want to do. And so we say, Holy Spirit, have your way. Glorify Jesus. Build up the church. Bear fruit, give gifts empower us for all that you've called us to. Amen.